Well, we're working our way through the Lord's Prayer, and we get to this uh, one part here, and uh, it, it's really, really straight ahead. It's so straight ahead, it's brutal. It's, it is, well, we're going to get into it. You'll see. So Jesus is teaching his followers how to pray, because the disciples ask, teach us to pray the way John taught his disciples to pray. Okay. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is coming out of the Book of Common Prayer. So you really don't find this in any Bible translation except in the Book of Common Prayer from the Anglican and Episcopalian churches. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then just in case, because we're working on this last one, you know, forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And in case we don't get it, Jesus makes his own Bible commentary. Okay, right there in, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. He says this, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Told you it was going to be brutal. Immediately, good Christians begin working out. What did Jesus mean here? As though it's so brutal that you have to begin to think like, surely it can't be that obvious. Oh, okay. Does this make out our salvation conditional upon forgiving someone else? Does salvation become conditional? And all the Calvinists in the room said, no, may it never be in your rent your robes. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, not necessarily a Calvinist, quickly says, no, no, it does not make our salvation conditional. N.T. Wright comments this, and he says, it's, this is a statement because the entire prayer from the very beginning is about the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Yeah. N.T. Wright says, this is a commentary about our loyalty to the kingdom of God here on earth. That's what the whole prayer is about. Are we going to do the prayer? Are we going to do the kingdom of God? And it's going to look like <clears throat> forgiving your people who have wronged you, your enemies. So it's a reality of Jesus's real presence. And it gets really powerful at this point. If we're authentic followers of Jesus, we forgive. If we are Christians, we forgive. If we do not forgive, we are withholding a debt we owe to another. That's what the text is saying. Of course, it's one thing for us to all sit around and me to talk and you to listen and us talk amongst each other about what it means to forgive and what is forgiveness. And, and it's really quite another to really forgive, especially if someone's done something terrible to us. Garrett and I were just talking, you know, an hour or so ago, and we're like, yeah, 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 forgiveness, that's easy, until it really gets around to something really, really terrible. You've been abused, you know, for years. You've been abandoned. You've been terrorized. You've been shamed. Someone just totally forgot about you. How's forgiveness work when it's very, 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 very bad? And we need some extra help here with this extra, extra difficult prayer of forgiveness, and so the only author that ever comes to my mind is one of my old seminary professors, Dr. Lewis Smeeds, who was in the School of Psychology at Fuller Theological Seminary out in Pasadena. And Lou Smeeds uh, wrote many books on forgiveness because clearly he ran into it over and over with Christians. 
And he wrote, uh, and they were really quite useful, and so I'm going to give it to you here. Lou Smith says, forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is God's invention. Forgiveness is God's invention for coming to terms with a world in which people are unfair to each other and hurt each other deeply. He began by forgiving us. That's why it's Christian. He began by forgiving us, and he invites us to forgive each other. In other words, or just to repeat, in other words, forgiveness is God's invention to deal with an unfair world. Forgiveness is unfair. Here's a true story about how unfair unforgiveness really is. And it's a story from World War II. I have two stories from World War II this morning to illustrate this. This is a true story about a Jew named Simon Weisenthal. You ever heard of Simon Weisenthal? Weisenthal? Did you have to read him in high school? Simon Weisenthal, a Jew during World War II. He's a prisoner in a concentration camp. His story is a crisis of forgiveness. One afternoon, Weisenthal was assigned to clean the garbage out of the hospital for German soldiers. As he's cleaning up, a nurse walks over to him, took him by the arm, and ordered him to come with her, and took him to the bedside of one soldier in a long row of beds, and he found a stinking, rotting young German soldier with his head wrapped in a yellow pus-stained bandages, and he was dying. Carl was the soldier's name. And he was perhaps 22 years old, and he was an SS trooper. You know, the special elite people. And he reached out, and he clamped Simon Weisenthal's hand as though he was scared that Simon was going to run away. And the dying soldier told Weisenthal he had to speak to a Jew because of what he had done to Jews a few weeks earlier. And he wanted forgiveness. He was ordered to round up about 200 people in a village, pack them into a house, um, put full cans of gasoline inside. Next, they threw hand grenades inside and were ordered to shoot anyone who tried to escape. At the second floor window stood a man with a small child in his arms. His clothing was on fire, and beside him stood a woman, the child's mother. The man covered the child's eyes, and with one hand, they jumped out the window with the mother following. And then the soldier says, and we shot them, oh God. I shall never forget it. It haunts me, the soldier said. I, I, have, I have longed to talk to a Jew and, and beg forgiveness from him. I know that what I'm asking is almost too much, but without your answer, I cannot die in peace. Weisenthal was silent. He says, I stood up, looked in the soldier's direction at his folded hands, and at last I made up my mind and without a word, I left the room. The German SS trooper went to his death, unforgiven by man. Simon Weisenthal survived the war, and in his book, The Sunflower, he tells the story and asks the reader, what would you have done? What would you have done? When Weisenthal asked his famous Holocaust question, what would you have done? Several dozen people published their answers quickly. A fellow prisoner said this, you have no right to forgive him. You can only forgive people what they've done to you. 
Um, he's saying only the victim can forgive the wrongdoer. A philosopher, a philosopher wrote in and said that the uh, SS trooper just flat out did not deserve forgiveness. Just did not deserve forgiveness. One cannot, the philosopher says, one cannot go around happily killing and torturing and then simply ask and receive forgiveness. A novelist wrote in and said, it's been said, who's ever merciful to the cruel will end by being indifferent to the innocent. Who's ever, uh, who's ever merciful to the cruel will end by being indifferent to the innocent. Forgiveness can brutalize. Let the SS man die unshriven. Let him go to hell, said the novelist. And when we read between the lines, each answers saying this, it's not fair. It's not fair. Forgiveness is not fair. Second story, World War II story. This story is about someone who experienced uh, in a prison camp during World War II. Her name is Corrie Ten Boom. She was freed after the Allies. She was not a Jew, by the way. She was Christian. She was freed by the Allies uh, and the conquered uh, Nazi Germany. But Ten Boom's hatred was still inside of her for her experience in the camp, in the work camp. She set out on a journey of forgiveness. She was a Christian, and she knew she must forgive, forgive even the Nazi prisoner guards who de dehumanized her in the camp. Her journey of forgiveness gave her the only power to heal the hurt and the anger inside of her, and she preached forgiveness in Holland and in France and then in Germany. And in Munich one Sunday, she preached to a German crowd who was eager to be forgiven. Once the servant was, was over, the service was over, a man walked up to her and reached out for her hand, expecting her to take it, and said, Mrs. Ten Boom, I am so glad that Jesus forgives us all our sins, just as you say. Corey knew him. She remembered how she was forced to take showers with the other women prisoners. While this beast looked on, leering, mocking, Nazi Superman, guarding helpless women. Her hand froze at her side. She had been so sure of her ability to forgive everybody and everything. And now, confronted with this man, she froze. Jesus, I can't forgive this man. Please forgive me, she prayed. And at that moment, moment something miraculous happened inside of her. And she felt forgiven for not forgiving. She felt forgiven for not forgiving. And her hand went out and took the hand of her enemy and released him. And in her heart, she freed herself of a terrible past. Two unfair stories. One does not forgive and the other person forgives. <clears throat> in an unfair world, in an unfair world comes God's unfair solution, forgiveness. Lou Smeeds says there are three parts, three parts to forgiving others and repairing a relationship. And here's the first one. Admit 
that we have been wronged and surrender our right to get even. I'm going to write Lou Smead's name up here because it's not what you think. Lou Smead says, one, and it's been so long, I forgot what it was. Um, admit we have been wrong and surrender our right to be, get even. Admit we, I got to check it, it sounds so wrong. Have been wrong, thank you. Whew. Not we are wrong. Admit that we have been wronged. That was my phone. And surrender the right to get even. Okay. Simon Weisenthal, he didn't get past this one, did he? He he didn't he couldn't surrender the right. Now, in my house growing up with three older brothers, we were fond of saying, don't get mad, get even. I mean, that's just cardinal biker rule in our house, you know. Don't get mad, get even. Said very cool and very calm. No question about it. Not much forgiveness took place amongst us brothers. Uh, we really believed if we could just get the other guy to pay, we'd feel better. Pretty much that's the way it went. As long as you want the other person to pay, you are trapped. Of course, we don't want to confuse forgiveness with justice. They're not the same. Someone commits a crime, they will pay for the crime in the courts, and according to the justice system, of course, it's the way it's supposed to go. And that is just, yes? But forgiving them sets you free from having to be the judge. This is how forgiveness is working. You are in your own prison, and you are the one who gets set free. It is still unfair But you get set free. Also, forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. It's not la-di-da, that never happened. No. Say a neighbor borrows your lawnmower and brings it back broken, and they say, sorry about the lawnmower. Really, really, I'm really, really sorry. Really, really sorry, yeah. And you say, oh, forget it, no big deal. And then you go around fuming in the house, stomping around, complaining, and telling your wife over and over how lousy the neighbor is for breaking your lawnmower. Forget it did not mean forgive it, did it? Forgiveness is not the same as forgetting. Forgetting sounds easier than forgiving because it's sort of sweeping it under the rug. But the freedom to forget only comes after we've done the hard work of forgiving. And, and I think it's really pretty much a lifelong journey of things to kind of fade. Okay? Second part, according to Lou Smeads, uh, of forgiving others in our lives. Seeing the offender with new eyes. Seeing the offender with new eyes. Perhaps the largest task in the whole, I mean, I thought the first one was pretty big, but this one even sounds 
just as hard, if not bigger. We need a new perspective if we want to get closer to forgiving someone the way God's forgiveness works, okay? In my own life, when I've been hurt by others, my first impulse is not to see the offender in the best of light. Duh. Let me just make this very clear. In the church, in the church, there is a lot of potential to hurt and to be hurt. We are all highly invested around here. We are very passionate. It's an altruistic organization. It's like more like a college basketball team. You ain't getting paid. You know what I mean? We're just all in it, right? We're on mission. We have stuff to do. There's a lot of different ministries, mattresses, and everything else right on down. And people are fired up. And because we're human, there is conflict, <laughs> right? A lot of little individual brains going on around here, and they don't all sync up. So, you know, it just happens then that in the church, uh, we hurt each other. We're, we're, we're just human beings, and we're all trying really, really hard. And nothing hurts worse when you thought you did your best and, and someone did you wrong, right? So when we all live that close to their heart, there's bound to be some hurt feelings here and there. And when we realize the other person is not Superman or Superwoman, when you realize they fall short, they're not perfect, you know, suddenly something begins to melt and you begin to see the other person with some new eyes. Like, they're, they're just another human being, just like everybody else. I, that is a huge step at that moment to actually be able to say, like, to begin to humanize the person. I mean, if you really want to say the truthful thing, you say, hey, guess what? They're just like me. Maybe it's giving up the fiction about yourself. Maybe that ought to be number two, but it's said in the negative, so it doesn't sound as cool in the book. We're all just moving closer, right? Further up the mountain. If we don't change our picture of someone, then we become slaves to our own painful picture of the past, and you become trapped by your past. Our hurt becomes our future. And it's a terrible, terrible thing to rot inside of you. How's your picture of your future with others? If you play the whole thing out of somebody you can't forgive, how's that going to work out, say, three years from now? Are you better? Worse. Not the same. I think you're worse. I was talking to one of my best friends since middle school and his kids are adults now and he said um, he said you know uh, my children have we've been talking and they've been telling me uh, what we did wrong as parents when they were young now my best friend this, he's an awesome rocking dude and he said everything inside of me wanted to you know, justify and respond and everything like that. And he says, I just sat there and said, I'm really sorry. I'm sitting there thinking like, you're the most freaking awesome human being on the planet. Because first off, I would probably even 
know what's going on when my kids start telling me what I'd done wrong. And then I'd start defending myself and saying, like, your fault. You know, I'd, like, I'd picture myself like, this is going to unravel real bad. And he's like this Superman, awesome human Christian guy. Like, gulp. Like, okay. That set the bar real high. Just to keep your mouth shut. Third part of forgiving others in our lives is when we begin to wish the best for somebody else, when we want the best for their welfare. Begin to wish the best for them and their welfare. Whoa, getting out of control on the marker here. This one jumped me when I first experienced this. I I know the exact place on the exact road where this first hit me about somebody early on in the church who just about pretty much killed the church. And uh, I remember thinking, like, it was really weird. I thought, well, I hope their business works out right. I hope they find a good church. I, I hope, I hope uh, their marriage is good. And I had all those thoughts, and I'm kind of like doing this, you know, you're driving along, you have all these kind of weird conversations going on in your head, and I'm thinking like, wow, dude, that's a really new thought. I didn't know you were capable of that. Like, yeah, that was really amazing too. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, from the neck, I just went flush. And like, yeah, I don't hope any of that. You know, and the anger came back. And then it went away. And then it came back. And then it went away. You know, like, well, this is a bad flickering no vacancy neon sign going on inside of me. You know, like, this is like back and forth. And I thought, well, that's the way number three works. It's not like, oh, it's all great, you know, and the bluebirds are singing behind you as you go and the flowers blooming. It doesn't happen that way. It's, it's back and forth, and it's kind of gradually, you know, it's two steps forward, one step back. Over time, you just begin to want good for him in instances. And, and what happens is, is you begin to become freer and freer and freer from your own pain. And that's when you know you've forgiven someone is when you get to this. Forgiveness is not 100%. We'd like to say it is, and it sounds nice in a teaching sermon message book but it's not you know it's it fluctuates 76 percent up to 99.3 you know one moment you hope the best for someone next you're flushed with anger and that's the way the forgiveness journey goes and it is a journey forgiveness is unfair because you pay even though somebody else has done something wrong to you. It's unfair. But you don't want to live in a fair world. You want to live in a grace-filled world. And this is why, everybody, Lakeland, why I believe Christianity is the only thing that will heal the nation and our relationships. Only thing. Everybody else wants something called justice or fairness or to get even or to put the other people down and it's going to have to cost the people who believe they're being offended. 
That's the way it's going to work. You pay. Forgiveness, Jesus says, is like a debt. The offended person pays the debt. It's like this. It's like with a crime against the law. If you're guilty, you pay. Yeah? Serve your time. Pay your fine. But with forgiveness, you, the offended one, you pay. So it is with God. We are guilty before a holy God, but God pays. Amen? God pays for us. Amen? Yeah, that's where it all starts right there. That cross. That cross. That's why N.T. Wright can say, this is the gospel. This is the whole thing right here. If you fail this in the Lord's Prayer, you've not bought into the kingdom. I think he's right. So this is how forgiveness works, everyone. And this is what we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins. We forgive those who've sinned against us, debts, debtors. You eat the offense and you become free. So I hope you have a good Father's Day. And it's been mentioned already a couple of times this morning. I didn't know it was coming, but a couple of people, you know, I think, I don't know who it was, Adam or Ben and those guys, Saying like, you know, for some of us, Father's Day is not at all like, oh, joy. Some of it's a bad memory. So maybe this is your Father's Day. You know? Take the gift. Make it work. So I hope and pray for healing in our relationships at home, in our nation, in our neighbors. I hope fathers lead the way. This is what makes us image bearers. This is what, fathers, this is what makes us leaders, if you want to call it that. This is what it means to be a father. And it's why we call God a parent. Both mother and father, by the way. Because only those kind of people can change people's lives. Amen.